Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 104. And that's the psalm appointed for today, Saturday, August the 20th, 2022. Beautiful passage to, to, to lay out who is this God. It speaks of creation and it speaks of light. And, and it's important to us that, that we get our heads around this, that we, we do actually um, accept as this um, psalm goes along, he, he explains how wonderful the works of the Lord are in creation, that it's all purposeful. Everything is fulfilling its purpose, the purpose for which the Lord intended it. It's a beautiful psalm, and it's intended to comfort our souls. It's intended to give us comfort that he is sovereign over all things, that, that, that no matter what happens, it's according to God's will and plan in the world. It, it, it's, it gives us the the comfort and the authority we need to walk out in his name because we know that he has all times in his hand he has us in his hand and that everything he does is good so remember yesterday what had happened was is that that job had had, satan had been able to come against job personally and he's covered from head to toe in sores scraping himself with an iron pot then these friends three of his friends come and they see him from afar don't recognize him and see his misery and his agony and they lift up their voices and they weep they tear their clothing and they sit among the ashes with job for seven days and nobody says anything so then after this time, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Remember, his wife wanted him to curse the Lord. He is essentially doing that right now because he's cursing his mother and father at some level. He's cursing the fact that he came into the world. So he said, let the day perish on when I, which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God not above not seek it nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it let clouds dwell upon it let the blackness of the day terrify it that night let thick darkness seize it let it not rejoice among the days of the year let it not come into the number of the months behold let that night be barren let no joyful cry enter it let those curse it who curse the day who are ready to rouse up leviathan let the stars of its dawn be dark let it hope for light but have none nor see the eyelids of the morning because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb nor hide trouble from my eyes so what job's saying is it would have been better for me if i'd never been born it would be better than sitting in this pain from all the things that i've had to endure in in the last little bit, it would be better if I had never lived at all. This this life is such a misery to me that I wish it had never happened. He couldn't curse that day any more completely than he does. Why did I not die, die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest. But <laughs> that's not way, the way it is for me, is what he's saying. With kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not a hidden, stillborn child as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. 
I mean, he's saying, look, it would have been better because this life is so horrible. I wonder if he'd ever felt that way before. Doesn't seem like he would have. It seemed like he, he was pursuing righteousness and he was pursuing uh, the Lord and he had the fear of the Lord and he has chewed evil. And yet here he's saying, you know, this life is a misery, an absolute misery. At least if you're not alive, then the wicked aren't troubling you and the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster to the small and the greater there. And the slave is free from his master. Everything's better in the land of the dead. It wasn't until he lost everything, and now he's under his own suffering, personally, physical suffering. He says, why is light given to him who's in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? It, it, is he extending this to other people? Is he uh, empathizing with and, and um, identifying with other people in this situation? At some level, yes, but mostly it's just about Job, and it's about his suffering, and it's understandable, right? I mean, you could hear these things. You could hear a fr friend go through this and say these things. Do you bring correction? You know, what do you do? Because is this something he really believes, or is this a man speaking out of his pain? And I think that it's clearly a man speaking out of his pain. And, and that pain can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be spiritual. And I think Job's part of Job's problem is the spiritual pain that he feels, this abandonment of God. You could, you could hear the cry of dereliction, which is what it's called from the cross, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had known the blessedness of God and the blessing of God all his life. And now God's nowhere to be found in his pain. He's not there. And that's why Job's crying out. Why, why should this be? This is awful. And where's God? <clears throat> why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? I don't understand anything. I don't understand anything that's going on in my life, and I need help here. I need some guidance. I need to understand what's happening in this place. I can remember a story that I read years ago about Mother Teresa and that she had, um, somebody, a man sought and sought after her because he, he saw her as a holy woman who probably could, could unriddle the things of God to him. And, and he came, and, and he, he had been a wealthy man, and, and now he comes, and he finds Mother Teresa, and he comes to her and, and explains this situation, and he said, I just need clarity from God. And she said, that's your biggest problem. He said, what are you talking about? <laughs> she said, you're seeking the wrong thing. If you're seeking clarity, no, go away until you understand what you really ought to be seeking, which is God himself. <clears throat> it was a powerful thing, and that's exactly what, what um, Job is saying here. He's searching for answers to why these things would happen to him. A and now he feels like he's walking in darkness, and yet he's, he's continuing to live. He says, for my sighing comes instead of bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. But the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. Anything that I can think of that's a horrible thing is exactly the thing that comes. And I don't want to think those things. <clears throat> I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. If you've ever been in a situation where it seems like the, the troubles just kept multiplying, where it just feels like it, it goes on and on and on and there's no break, 
I mean, I can remember a time when we were struggling, when the church was struggling financially because we had taken this property in 08, and then it, financially it just burying us under the weight of paying the rent on this big old place that we didn't actually need. And, and I can remember in football, in a football game, if you are tired and you, you need to come out of the game, the way you indicate that to the coach is you tap your helmet to say, hey, I need to come out of the game. And so I felt like I was not just tapping my helmet, I was beating that helmet to pieces, trying to say, Lord, I need to get out of the game somehow. I don't know what that looks like or what it means, but I need to get out of the game. And he wouldn't take me out of the game. And he kept me in that place. And we continued to have to do hard things. The place we had been meeting, it was owned by some friends of ours, and that was going under. It was going bankrupt, and they were dying, and they handed off the responsibility for making the next steps happen to me. And then, so I'm trying to deal with that at the same time I'm floundering on my own. And then it just, I mean, it was just a miserable, miserable time because there was so much going on at that time that was absolutely crushing and the Lord wouldn't take me out of the game. And so I know a little bit about what Job feels in this situation and how difficult it is to navigate life and how much you just want to get out because there's no rest anywhere around. And, And ultimately, the Lord just took us through it. You know, it, sometimes you got to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't get to avoid it. And, and that's when it's really, really difficult. But he's with us in those moments. If we can take the time to drop back and say, I don't need answers. I just need you. That's all I need. In the gospel, Jesus had told them, right, I'm the bread of life. And so they grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Now, this word grumble is the word that gets them in trouble all the time in the wilderness, and it's murmuring. When they murmur against Moses, they murmur against Moses and Aaron and Miriam, they murmur against God. And the problem is is that, that, that it, they're, they're making this thing horizontal when it should be vertical. They shouldn't be talking among themselves. That's not where any answers come from. They're not going to find any answers. They're only going to find a, a place to spin in their own anger and their own frustration because they're, not, they're staying in the, in the mess. They're not getting out of the mess. They're not stepping back and saying, well, wait a minute. We're all upset about this. Maybe there's something we just don't understand. They're not, they're not evaluating things the right way. They're, they're evaluating it only on the way that affects them. You know, we wanted bread, and you're telling us some weird metaphorical thing about you being the bread that came down from heaven. And then they do what you always do. You default to the thing you know, which is, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? In other words, the, 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 we see the signs. We followed him because of the signs he was doing on the sick. And then we see the sign that he did in, in giving us the bread. But we're missing the fact that it's a sign and not a miracle. It points to something. It points to who he is. And instead, you default to what you know about who he is. He's Jesus, the son of Joseph. We know these people. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What were we thinking that we were coming after him? So they've, they've ignored now and pushed all those signs to the side, and they're not even seeing those any longer, and they're reacting only to what they know, and now they're offended because of what they know in spite of the fact they've seen differently. Jesus answered them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's the third time Jesus has said, I will raise him up on the last day. Hey, don't you want that? (laughs) Don't you want the resurrection? I mean, that's not what they're pointing at anymore. No, they want bread. They're so uh, single-minded about this. Their monomania has caused them to lose sight of the fact that he provided it. 
it's written in the prophets, Jesus said, they'll all be taught by God because you'll all have the Holy Spirit. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he is from God. He has seen the Father, me, because he's already said, I came down from heaven. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Huge statement. Good to know. Good to hear. I have eternal life because I believe that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God who took my sins on the cross and then was resurrected the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he'll come in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I, I believe all those things. It's important for us to say things like the creeds. It's important for us to articulate our beliefs. We need to be able to do that well. We need to be able to share those beliefs with others. And the certainty we have in the resurrection, the certainty we have that Jesus is the Son of God, we need to be able to have that certainty. We need to be able to share that even when he's not doing the things that we want him to do in our own lives. He said, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, is Jesus speaking metaphorically? Well, of course he is. But at the same time, he's, it's not completely metaphorical. And the reason I'll say that is because when he says he eats my flesh and drinks my blood has that life. And he's clearly speaking of communion, but he's also clearly saying that those things at least represent his body and blood. I mean, he couldn't let him walk away on a metaphor. <laughs> and the fact that they misunderstood a figure of speech. No, he challenged them that you have to do this. It required faith, and they weren't willing to have it because of what they knew. We know his parents. Wait a minute. We know he didn't come down from heaven. We know how he got here. Well, do you? Do you know his story? Do you know where he was born? Do you know anything about how he was conceived? <clears throat> In the epistle, remember Paul had been struck blind on the road to Damascus and then told to go in and God would t into Damascus and God would tell him what, would, what he was to do. So there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. What an exciting thing. The Lord's calling me. He's probably got a job for me. I'm right here. I'm ready to go. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So, cool, God's got a job for me. He's got me going to this house of the man named Judas in the street called Straight to meet a man who's praying, who I've shown him in a vision. You're going to come and lay hands on him, and he's going to recover his sight. You're going to do a great sign and a miracle. Sounds great, right? But <laughs> Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. You know, I, I, I'm up for a miracle, but I know some things. I know some things about this man, Saul, and I don't think I want to go. I, maybe, maybe you aren't aware of who this Saul is, Lord. Maybe, maybe you don't know, so I'm going to give you some information you don't have. You don't know who he is. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine. In other words, I know exactly who he is. He's a guy that I chose. <clears throat> and <clears throat> 
to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So he's got three different audiences God's sending him to. He's sending him to the Gentiles, he's sending him to kings, and he's sending him to the people of Israel. So he has all three of those missions that he is going to be a missionary. He's going to be an apostle. That's what it means to be one who is sent with a message. It's an apostle. And that's exactly what God just said. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. I'm making him an apostle to the Gentiles, the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Huh. Paul's going to be the one doing the suffering. He wanted to make other people suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. And now what God's going to show him is how much he's personally going to suffer for the name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. What a wonderful thing that is. I mean, Ananias is so fully convinced of this that, that he believes that God spoke the truth to him and that he heard it properly. And so he refers to him as Brother Saul. The man that he was so afraid of, he, he wanted to tell the Lord, no, I'm not going to go there. You don't know who this guy is. I have information. And instead, he goes and he calls him Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, what he's saying is, Brother Saul, here's the deal. The Jesus who spoke to you on the road has sent me here for your good. You're going to recover your sight and you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, give it to me then. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. So God authenticated him, and he authenticated him by healing him. And then he takes the food, and he's strengthened in the food. And now he's ready to go. He, he is among the disciples in Damascus for some days. The disciples, he was sent there to arrest. He is now being taught by them about the fullness of the gospel in order that he might be prepared to go out and suffer for the kingdom and spread the message of the gospel to Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. It's an amazing thing. Whatever your situation is today, God can change it in an instant. He can absolutely change it in an instant. If you're willing to lay aside everything you think you know and allow God to show you the truth. Allow him to, to open your eyes so that you can see the truth around you, so that you can recognize him working in the world around you, so that you could recognize him working in the circumstances of your life, whatever they may be today, for his glory and for your salvation. In order that he might raise you up at the last day as well. It, it's, it's critical that, that we allow him to do this work of transforming us by the renewing of our minds. Because what that says, when Paul writes that to the Romans, is, is that, that my mind was once confused with things it knew. But it kept me from being able to see things as they are because I had formed other judgments. And God had to take away my sight in order to give me true sight. So let's not allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by the circumstances that we might find ourselves in. Let's not make premature judgments about good and evil in our circumstances, but let's allow God to work through those circumstances for his glory and our eternal salvation.